What would you do for love? My mom would test every single relationship she had in the most abusive ways possible to see if the people who loved her would stay or leave. My father would engage in criminal activity because he loved my mom and didn't want to lose her. He would live with her cheating on him. He would live with her trying to kill him or trying to drive him to suicide. He would also live with her abuse and with her abusing me and Denise because he loved her and didn't want to lose her. What would you do for love? I mean for real true love. For that chance of being unconditionally loved by another, of being cherished and adored, of being soulmates with another. You know, I don't know what you would do, but I know what I did. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. Now, what does it take to get a title like that? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. You say you'd do anything for love. You, you know that song. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> Was there ever anything that you would not do for love? No. No, there was nothing. You know, I talked about Elizabeth a couple episodes ago, right? Right. I guess I just wanted to get through that instead of actually talking about it. You know, I gave the uh, gave the facts, man. You know, just the facts. But the truth of the matter was, I was absolutely crazy about her, man. I was. I was absolutely crazy about her. And, you know, I talked about Susan, my first wife. And no, I didn't have any real conversations with Susan. We didn't, uh, we didn't really have a lot in common, but I don't want people to think that, that I didn't fawn over. I did. I treated, I put Susan on a pedestal. I mean, on, on a damn pedestal. You know, just, um, no, we didn't talk about anything of, of any real value or have any real conversations, but by the same token, I, I doted on her. I fawned over her. I just, uh, most, I, I, you see these people who just, uh, you know, that clingy type of person where you're just, uh, all touchy-feely and just, you know, got to love them, got to show them love, show them love. And that was, that was me, and I was the same way with Elizabeth. I mean, when I started, uh, I met Elizabeth at that strip club and uh, came back a week later. You know, I spent the night, that first night, just talking to her. Came back a week later and asked her out. And uh, we started dating. And I remember, man, we'd go out to, um, I'd pick her up at, at her apartment and we'd go out to lunch, 
because she was still a stripper. She had to be, it was just lunch day. It's, you know, late lunch, early dinner. We go out to lunch and I'd drop her back off at her apartment, man. And I would just, uh, I'd pull over and I'd just cry. Just cry. I mean, I don't even know. I, I guess I was just, you know, depressed from, from Susan leaving me. Uh, I guess depressed because I knew that deep down that Elizabeth didn't love me. I just pull over and cry and then uh, moved her in with me and that was me. I kept, I kept thinking, I guess I thought if I could, cause I knew I was screwed up, <laughs> you know, but I guess I thought that if, uh, if I could fix her, I could fix me too. You know, some level, I guess I figured that. And I remember I moved her in with me and, you know, she would, uh, she wouldn't come home and I'd, I'd wait up. I mean, I'd wait up, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go to sleep. I'd, I'd stay up till that phone call came in at seven o'clock telling me to come and get her. She couldn't drive home by herself. So I'd, I'd wait up for, and, you know, I kept thinking that, um, if she, uh, if I just kept investing that she would, she'd come to love me and it never, I, mean, I guess, I guess she did at some level, you know, but can I tell you what, man? Moved her in with me, and uh, I remember the first night we slept in that bed, and, and the first night she slept with me, not sex, but, you know, just sleeping. Woke up the next morning, and I just, uh, you know, I just touched her shoulder, you know, trying to, you know, good morning, I love you, that kind of thing, and it was, uh, she screamed at me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And that became the relationship, that, that, uh, you know, I mentioned before she uh, she couldn't be intimate unless she was drunk, unless she was just completely wasted, and that was true. I mean, she uh, she wouldn't do that. She just uh, you know there was no sex. Sex had to be if she was wasted. Uh, kissing the same thing. I mean, it was uh, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. I would just you know I wouldn't let her see it, but I just I just find some dark corner someplace and cry. You know trying to figure out what the hell was going on and I'm sure that she was abused I'm not sure by who you know that's the story of most every stripper they've got some sort of sexual abuse somewhere in their life but uh, I kept I kept thinking that if I just kept investing that that would be it so I got to the point where I was Figured if I could just give her whatever she wanted, so that became like like I spoke on that one episode. It became those three hundred three to five hundred dollar dinners. It became the two thousand dollar purses every week, the thousand dollar shoes. Then it became you know me uh, started with me telling her I loved her, and that didn't do it. Then it became the buying, and that didn't do it. And then I'm like, well, you know, I love her. Maybe she'll understand that I love her, and she'll love me back if we get engaged. Well, at this point, I'm already through all my U.S. money. I can't access the money I've got overseas, so I start running counterfeit cashier's checks so I can continue to to, to spend money like I'm spending it. And uh, I don't have money to buy the engagement rings, so I steal those. I ask her to marry me, and she says yes, and that still doesn't do it. But she's she's and she told me that's that's the fucking heart heartbreaking thing about it, man. She uh, she told me that if she didn't marry me, she'd never marry anybody. 
that I was the one. And uh, you know, I went to Charleston a couple of months back. I looked her up. I didn't talk. I wasn't able to talk to her or anything, but still not married. Still not married. And, uh, you know, that, that bugs me, man. So I, I we set a wedding date. We set a wedding date for uh, February 26th of 2005. And I was arrested. We were going to get... Uh, Three days before I was arrested, we went. We'd driven from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, to Atlanta because we were looking for uh, for a wedding dress. We already picked out the cake, all that stuff. So February eighth was my arrest date, and I, I went to pick up those wedding bands. I couldn't afford to buy them, so I'd stolen those too. And that's when I was arrested right there. Um, course they come in and they search the house that's when she finds out I was a criminal they search the house and uh, she's just just crying just crying I told her I when they took me off to jail I was like don't show up at my arraignment just don't show up well, of course she shows up her dad's with her and she's just in the courtroom just bawling her eyes out and um, that was that was that was Elizabeth you know, I went to, of course, I went to the county jail, and I was going crazy. I mean, I was, uh, I was in the county jail for ninety days. During those ninety days, I lost sixty pounds, and um, I was my my entire thing was Elizabeth during that ninety days. That was the only thing I was worried about. That was it. You know, they brought me in on my arrest. They, um, I kept asking. When I was there in the parking lot, as they were putting me in cuffs and asking me questions and everything else, I was like, I just need to call Elizabeth. I just need to call her. Let me call her. Let her know what's going on. I'm not going to warn her anything. I just need to let her know what's going on. Because she had, like I said before, she had gotten to the point she didn't want to be without me. She was off Coke, but I guess the new addiction, other than the alcohol, she just needed me there all the time. And, uh, so that was what my main concern was that when I went to jail, Jesus, that. <laughs> of course, they arrest me. They take me to the interrogation. Secret Service pops in within 45 minutes, takes over the, the case. I'm arraigned the next day. Elizabeth shows up there. I'm not able to talk to her or anything. She's just bawling in the courtroom. And I'm like, just let me call her. Just please let me call her. And uh, they were asking me questions. And I was like, look, I'll answer any question you want me to answer. If you just let me call her. And they let me. They let me call her at that point. And uh, I just told her I loved her. You know, I told her I loved her and I was, uh, I didn't want to lose her. And I did. I answered the questions at that point. That was the quid pro quo, right? So I answered the questions. They threw me back in the county jail. A week later, Secret Service flies in from New Jersey, pulled me out of the cell, and they told me, they were like, uh, we got your laptop. I was like, yeah. They're like, uh, got anything on your laptop? And I was like, oh yeah. They're like, well, you're gonna be charged for whatever's on it. And I was like, I figured. <laughs> and uh, then one of the agents, I think his name was uh, David Esposito, he looks at me and he was like, uh, anything you can do for us? And my exact words, my exact words were, I'll do whatever you want me to do, as long as I can get back with Elizabeth. And the guy looked at me and he was like, we'll get you out. 
Well, getting me out was three months. They let me sit there for three months to uh, to get a taste of what jail was like, basically. They could have got me out sooner, but they let me sit there. And uh, during that three months, I wrote Elizabeth every day. I tried to call her every day, but she wouldn't take the calls. And uh, during that three-month time, I, like I said, I wrote her every day. I, I called her, I think, three times as the number of calls I got. She came to visit twice. So uh, I was under $327,000 bond. I didn't have money to pay that. They had taken everything, right? I didn't have money to bond out. So what happens is, is the day I was released, Secret Service, they had the bond reduced to $1,000. My sister pays that bond. And uh, I walk out. It's like 12 o'clock at night. I walk out. My sister had called me. She was like, hey, whatever you do, don't fuck this up. So, so I walk out. I'm, a Secret Service agent's waiting on me. It's like midnight, and uh, we're standing in the parking lot. The first call I made when I got out was not my sister, was not my dad, was not my mom or any friends. It was Elizabeth. I'm out, and she said I'll be there. So we're standing in the parking lot. Me and the Secret Service agent. And he's telling me, he's like, whatever you do, don't fuck this up, man. You're going to be all right. Just don't fuck this up. I'm like, okay. So we're standing in the parking lot. Elizabeth had a friend. I say a friend. I'm not, I think it was a friend with benefits. Oh. But he owned a limo company. So she pulls up in a limousine. This guy, Carl, was driving. That was her buddy. She pulls up in a limousine, she gets out, pops the trunk, gets out these two plastic storage containers, got my clothes on. Gets them out, drops them on the pavement, comes over, hugs me, tells me to call me later, and leaves. And I'm standing there just bawling, man, just fucking crying my eyes out. Secret Service agent looks at me, he's like, is that your fiancé? I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, I am so sorry. I'm like, yeah. So we uh, load up the my clothes in his vehicle. I didn't have enough money at that point to uh, to pay for a hotel room. So he takes me down to Red Roof Inn, pays for it, puts me in there. As soon as he puts me in there, what do I do? Call Elizabeth, of course. And beggar. I mean beggar. Everything's going to be all right. I'm working for the government now. I'm going to be a security consultant. Everything's fine. You know, they're paying me. Everything's fine. And she's like, I'll come see you. So she comes to see me, and I end up begging her. And uh, I, was, I was like, look, we can still work this out, you know. I still want to marry you. I love you. I want everything to be all right. And uh, she's like, okay. It, it wasn't the happy okay, but it's like, I'll see. We'll see what we can do. She had, uh, I had told her dad on the phone that. Uh, that she was addicted to coke, that she was uh, prostituting herself. And I, that's one of the things I'd said, uh, like the first week I was locked up, I was like, look, I said, I'm not sure if I'm getting out, but you got to do something with her. I mean, you got to help her. She can't go back to doing what she was doing. So they had uh, they had some friends that were dentists. They uh, hired Elizabeth as a dental hygienist. They uh, her, her grandmother had died. So they gave her that house to live in, 
where her grandmother lived. So she had a place to stay. They had bought her a new car and uh, had gotten her a job so she didn't have to go back to stripping or any bullshit like that. Um, so Elizabeth leaves that night. As soon as she leaves, I had $30 to my name. 30 Walmart was about a half mile down the road. As soon as she leaves, take my $30, go down to Walmart, buy a prepaid debit card. So I can start back doing tax identity theft again. And that's... Uh, I do... I'm, I'm a big game theory guy. This strategic decision making. And part of uh, game theory is rational behavior. Rational behavior is defined as whatever is rational for the person, not as to what might be rational for other people, what they might think. It's whatever the person acting is rational to them. And I say that because I went on to, uh, to absolutely screw the Secret Service over, break the law every single day from inside Secret Service offices, and we'll talk about that more. But I went uh, for a year, man. For a year, I committed crimes every single day. And to me, that was rational. Because I wasn't doing it for anything else except trying to establish that relationship with Elizabeth. That's the thing. So what would I do for love? Jesus Christ, man. Anything. Anything. That dates back to my mom, right? That's what all that is. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.